Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin, a place to get to know the people of Austin and find out how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse, and on a distant uh, hilltop somewhere miles from here sits my co-host, Joel McCall. Hey, Bob. It's, uh, we're, we are socially distant. Yeah. So I'm but pretty... emotionally right there. Yeah, we're still working on that. Um, okay. So, um, I'm actually excited about today, today's guest, and I'll tell you why, because I probably have never told you this, Joel, but growing up, I, uh, my stepdad used to drag race. Oh, and, really? Yeah. And so he never really had sponsors, so a lot of times he wrenched on teams that had sponsors and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the guys around the, the pits and the other drivers would ask me, do you want to drive someday? I'm like, yeah, I want to drive. And they go, well, what do you want to drive? Funny car, top fuel. My answer is no, indie cars. Yeah, so I never got to live that dream, but today's guest did get to live that dream. Uh, he is the first African American driver to test for F1. He's the first African American driver to drive a Indy 500. He also is toured up in multiple other classes. Uh, you can find out a little bit more about him with his documentary, uh, the, excuse me, Uppity, the Willie T. Ribs story, available at chassis.com and on Netflix. And without further ado, here's Willie T. Ribs. Good afternoon. Good, good afternoon, gentlemen. Willie T. We're, we're here in Texas together. Yeah. Isn't that great? I mean, you're down at the coast, so you're, you're living a little larger than Joel and I are at the moment, but. Well, yeah, my son just, we were having uh, champagne and oysters just a few minutes ago and we videoed it. <laughs> and my son, uh, told me that, uh, you guys need to calm down. You, this is not Robin Leach and lifestyles of the rich and famous. I don't know. I think you'd give it a run for its money. Yeah. Oh, oh, we we show Robin at a at a party down here in Texas. Oh, <laughs> yeah. this is this is the party in the state in the union. Well, and that leads to the first question I want to ask. You, you grew up in San Jose, and you've been all around the world. How in the world did you end up in the hill country of Texas? Well, I mean, I've been in and out of Texas a lot during my racing career. Had a lot of friends here. Um. I, you know, I grew up on a ranch in Northern California with my grandfather. So I always wanted to be, I wanted to retire. When my career was over, I wanted to be back on the ranch again, right? And uh, plus my son, Theo, is one of the top uh, shotgun shooters in the world. And I knew for him to be a world-class shooter, he had to be in Texas. So in uh, his very first year in high school, uh, we moved to uh, Dripping Springs. He went to Dripping Springs High School. And uh, along the way, I mean, he was developing his his shooting career. If you want to be uh, a great football player at a, a, a young age, you know, you, you want to be in Texas. I mean, and they're just, Texas is just the greatest for sports, including shooting sports. So, we we moved out here, bought a bought a ranch in uh, Dripping Springs, and made him a shooting facility, but uh, for him to train on. This is just the best place on the planet. I, I wouldn't live anywhere else but Texas. 
You know, when we talked on the phone the other day, you'd said you'd had to go back to California for something, and you said, eh, you wanted to come back to Texas right, as soon as you could. Oh, oh. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I mean, I got – I got – I lost most of my feathers. So, um, you know, uh, going back there, I'm there for three or four days and I want to get back to Texas. And my son, uh, he's 28 years old. He goes out there and he says, you know, Dad, uh, I can only handle California for about a week. You know, it's geographically, it's a very beautiful place, but it, it's just gotten, it's just gotten too much, you know? Yeah. So, Let's talk about your racing career for a minute. You you pretty much done it all. You raced in England. You raced on the West Coast. You raced down south. You've pretty much been everywhere. Done as far as I can tell, just about every class. You know, from Formula Ford to Atlanta. You know, Formula Atlantic. Uh, did a little bit in NASCAR. Did the Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, you, know, you just basically went through it all. So. Kind of describe how that kind of worked for you. Well, I mean, I grew up in racing. My dad, my my grandfather founded a very successful business, and my dad raced as a hobby. So by the time, you know, I, I mean, as a kid, my dad was racing. So I was going to the races with him at a very early age, like starting at three. And by the time I was nine years old, you know, I knew what my career was going to be. There was no, uh, you know, a lot of kids today, and even back then, were trying to figure out what their career path was going to be. Well, I knew at nine years old what my career path was going to be. And when I got out of high school, my I asked my parents to send me to England to start my racing career because I wanted to be a Formula One driver. I mean, the drivers from all over the world at a young age, they'd leave Brazil, South America, wherever they were coming from, and go to England to compete uh, and, uh, very championships for one reason, to become a Formula One driver. So, you know, I went over there. I won my first, uh, championship over there. And, um, you know, that was, that was the beginning of my, uh, pro career. And, uh, I do it all over again. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to you got to experience so many different things, and you know, uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie yet, again, it's called Uppity, the Willie T. Rib story. You should definitely check it out because this man is is really interesting. Uh, some of the different situations he's been in and stuff like that. So I know you had different team members, uh, you know, uh, different sponsors, different you know, team owners. Uh, what would you say was your favorite team to race for? Oh, without question, uh, Dan Gurney. You know, Dan Gurney is a legend in auto uh, in, in in auto racing. Um, very historical uh, in its own right. Um, he was, I mean, I'd known him ever since I was a kid. He was one of my childhood racing heroes. And, you know, I mean, I raced in England. I raced for Roush. I had raced in IndyCar. Uh, but of all the teams that uh, I liked and I had the best relationship was with was uh, Dan Gurney. And he was, for one, he was a great driver. He wasn't a, a wealthy team owner who uh, 
who'd never sat in a, in, in the cockpit. So he understood what a driver want, wants, not only uh, personally, but competitively. So uh, he was great to work with and, and just smooth, just smooth, easy. Uh, you know, he, he didn't, uh, if anything, Dan was trying to, keep the shock collar on me because he knew I was very aggressive and I, and I raced, you know, I like racing hard. I like bumping, you know, when I, when we get out there, racing is a contact sport. So, um, you know, he just said, you know, Hey, you're faster than anybody. You don't have to, uh, leave, uh, uh, black stripes on their car. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's there is a moment in the movie where they show a picture of you with him as a child. I mean, was that kind of feeling like you're living your dream when you actually get to drive for him? Yeah, I guess in hindsight, yeah. Um, you know, you 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 um, you don't know. You never dream how the stars are going to align. You just it, it just happens. It, in, in most cases, it, it wasn't even in, the, in the plan, right? It just happened. And when it does happen, you've got to take advantage of it. And, you know, Dan, Dan knew me as, as somebody who, who would hang it out to win. And, you know, that's what, you know, you've got to do in racing. You've got to, uh, uh, to, you know, lay, lay the lumber down. So where did you learn to go fast? Well, I mean, it started at early age on my grandpa's ranch because my grandfather had 300 acres. That's a lot of real estate to learn how to go fast on. And, uh, you know, he had all these vehicles because my grandfather had quite a bit of money. So I, I, I was blessed from this. I was blessed from the standpoint that I never, I, I didn't go without. I had what I needed and to, to develop my, my, uh, racing, uh, prowess and my, so, you know, I was on his ranch and, and I started driving on his ranch real high speed and the other farmers, the other farmers like Henry, um, I know that wasn't you out there driving that fast because they would be, they would call, call him and ask him, well, what are you doing? You're, you know, uh, how come you're driving so fast? That wasn't me. <laughs> that that wasn't me. It had to be. It had to be my grandson. And so it it started there on the ranch. And by the time I left the ranch, I was ready to start my racing career. And you know, and I raced go karts and motorcycles when I was a teenager along the way. Anyway, that's just part of the development process. And then I was ready to go to England, but. What, you know, racing Formula Ford, racing uh, open wheel Formula Atlantic, racing Indy cars, stock cars. I even did a dirt track race in Wichita, Kansas, against Bobby Allison and 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 uh, and uh, Waltrip, Michael Waltrip, and and uh, Hank, Harry Gant. There was a lot of great drivers in the race. Morgan Shepard. I nearly won the race, and um, so. One thing that I wanted to do as a race driver, you know, nowadays everybody has a genre. 
and they don't mix anymore, right? There's stock car drivers, there's Indy car drivers, there's Formula One drivers, right? And in the old days, money was short for for driver salary. So the drivers raced everything just so they could make a good living. So Bobby Unser, Mario Andretti, A.J. Foyt, they raced dirt, they raced uh, uh, pavement, they raced uh, indie cars, they raced sports cars. They did everything just to make money. And I wanted to have that kind of uh, uh, resume. I wanted to be good in everything I put uh, sat down in. So good on the dirt, uh, uh, good uh, in the indie car, good in the sports car and road courses. And uh, it, it wasn't hard. I could develop it right just like that. But the great drivers could make transitions like that. They could jump like Mario or Bobby Unser or even AJ, they could go right off a sprint car and jump into an Indy car and win. Yeah, I always so, thought that was interesting that guys, you'd see so many big names that went out on weekends and race these dirt tracks, and you're thinking, what are you doing? You know, you've got a, yeah, you're you're a NASCAR guy or you're a Indy guy. What are you doing on this dirt track in the middle of nowhere on a weekend? But yeah, it's like you said, it kind of helps them hone their skills. And I don't know what the payout is on something like that. But no, well, they didn't make a whole lot of money in those days. So they were racing every weekend something. They could get a gig. They would they would uh, get behind the wheel and do it. And you know, and now the drivers. I mean, for example, Lewis Hamilton, who is six time world champion uh, in Formula One. He's making a hundred million a year. That you know, driver salary plus endorsements, boy. Um, so you know, you really don't have to you know jump around when you got that kind of gig. So it seems to me that the ability to go from one genre to the next, it all boils down to there is a strategy for winning. There's a strategy for passing the guy in front of you, for for taking the lead. Is, is, is that how your success happened? You you happened to, to figure that out? Well, I mean, passing's not the, the biggest issue. It's going fast in each mm-hmm. car. Um, if you're going fast, you're not going to have to worry about passing anybody because you're going to be out in front. Um <laughs> That's just uh, the the reality of the of the game, you know. Now, if you're racing dirt, for example, you know your way of passing somebody on a sprint car or a midget is a lot different than being in a uh, uh, Formula One car or an Indy car, for example. So, um, but it, it's something you adapt to right away, and um, but the whole objective is. You don't want to have to pass anybody. You want to be out front, uh, long gone. That's subjective. Being the fastest guy there and or one of the top three fastest and being in position at all times to be able to win. That's the objective. Yeah, so is there um, anybody you keep in touch with from those days that you that you see a lot or anything? 
Oh, Uncle Bobby. Bobby Hunter and I, we talk at least twice a week. He's 86 years old. <laughs> he don't act like it, but he's 86. And, and him and I are very, very close. My wife and I uh, went and spent uh, a few days with him not too long ago, him and his wife, Lisa. And, you know, he, he, he drives around in his wheelchair and, you know, he's not walking the way he used to, so he can't walk all day. So he'll get in this high performance wheelchair. <laughs> and no, and I mean, this thing, this thing smokes the rear tires. I mean, that's how, how much power. Right? And so he's got around his house, there's certain levels of his house that he needs one of those ramps to drive up. Right. Uh, and he goes up the ramp and gets airborne. With that thing, he looks yeah like Evil Knievel, right? He's going through the air, and thing is airborne, and uh, drops back down. He says, "How do you like that one?" And so he turn right. around and go back, and then he make a run. He says, "Tell me how high I'm getting." Wait, wait, hold on. Okay, yeah, you ain't smoking marijuana now, son, so you don't want to get too high, right? Well, you're gonna have to worry when he wants to start rolling buses in there. Yeah, how many buses can I get over? <laughs> Yeah, he is an amazing man and, and, and never gets upset. I mean, he's had a hundred operations on his shoulder, his knees, you know, hell, we went to a Mexican restaurant down there in Albuquerque and him and I went out and we walked in and he was on a walker. Well, he says, um, he says, uh, uh, we got to our table. Oh, Mr. Unser, how are you? Very good to see you. So he takes his hand off the walker to get into the table, and he literally, I, I wasn't watching, he fell down. You know, well, falling down at that age is hip surgery, right? Mm -hmm. So he rolled to the uh, left, he, and he did it so cool. You know, most most drop, most people that age would drop like a ton of bricks, right? Right. He did a slow roll, and he rolled down, and just, it was so graceful. Almost in slow motion, he says, you know, I've done this so many times. I've got it down to a a beauty. It's it's almost artistic. And But that's his mentality. He Nothing bothers him. Gets back up. We had to lift him up off the floor and put him at the table. And he just laughs about it. That's the kind of man I want to be at that age. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so talk about your relationship with Muhammad Ali. I got to tell you, um, my of course, my grandfather was my idol. I idolized him, and and because of his toughness and his resolve and his success. But Ali, you know, he was a hero when I was a kid, and and you know, when I was uh, racing in England in 1977. He was in England to do a promotion for a movie. And uh, Motorsports Press um, said to me, they said, we'd like to get a picture of you and Ali together. Well, I, you know, I, they didn't ask Ali that. So I went to meet him early in the morning in uh, London Hilton uh, outside of Hyde Park at 6 a.m. There was no media around. I wanted to meet him first, so... He came out of the elevator because he does a morning run every morning at six through the park. And um, I asked him if I could run with him because I had waited up all night in the lobby. 
to run with him. And he told me no. <laughs> and I said, what? You know, and I said, well, I'm no, you know, I, I, I waited up all night to see you. You shouldn't have done that. So, well, I did. So he said, okay. And we're, he's not, we're walking. He's walking as we're, as, and I got, uh, his back was to me. He says, okay, I want you to run behind me. So I ran behind him and for about 10 minutes. So he looked back over his, where's the young black boy like you doing here in England I said well I'm over here racing cars racing cars where I said here that's what I mean you ever get scared I said you ever get scared of Joe Frazier I'll knock you out don't you ever say that so we developed and we were talking about you know and he was talking about you know, you got to be tough. Don't you can't be afraid of it because he only knew about NASCAR because Ali is from Louisville, Kentucky. Right. So all he ever saw, well, he saw IndyCar because Louisville and Indianapolis is not that far. But you know, he he was uh, you know um, sort of uh, NASCAR was sort of what was in his face. Most of the time, anyways, what he saw uh, on television. So he just reminded me of what I had to do. He said, "You must be tough. You must be, and because you're going to deal with something that those other drivers are not going to have to deal with, and it's not about performance on a racetrack, about the color of your skin." He may he reinforced that, and he also reinforced that. You can't be uh, soft. You can't turn the other cheek. You know, if you got to bust them in the mouth, you bust them in the mouth. And that's, uh, you know, with him, with that, you know, I, I, I understood my responsibility. Well, one of the things that I noticed about uh, your life story is there was a couple times where things went a little bad and, you know, you didn't have sponsorship and didn't have a ride, but it seemed like there was a couple people that always believed in you and seemed to come in at the right moments to try to get you back going again. And, you know, I'm specifically speaking of, uh, Paul Newman and, uh, is it Jim Truman? Jim Truman. Yeah. Jim Truman was really, uh, if it wasn't for Truman, there would have been no Newman. There'd have been no Bill Cosby. There would have been no Dan Gurney. There would have been none of the mentors who came into my life that continue to boost my career along. And, um, and every one of them, every one of, they were just, they didn't listen to what anyone said because they all got kicked back. Why are you sponsoring that? Uh, well, I'll just say it starts with the end, right? Why are you doing this for this guy? Uh, the ones who were pushing back did not focus on whether I was a winning driver or not. They focused on my skin color. And uh, Newman and Paul, I mean, uh, Jim Truman and Paul uh, Newman and Gurney and, and, well, Cosby didn't even like racing. He did it because he wanted to see me in the Indy 500. And despite everything that's happened, um, uh, 
you know, I'm never going to speak bad at bad about him because of what he did with me. He did what he did. He's paying his due. But if it wasn't for him, I would have never been in Indy 500. Now, Jim Truman, uh, Paul, uh, they got me to, and Gurney, they got me to the point where it was time for me to go to Indy. And and Bill ran the ball over the goal line. Well, I've heard you talk in multiple interviews that that was a really special experience for you. You felt like you were treated like royalty almost there when you qualified? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Indianapolis. Indianapolis 500 is the biggest race on the planet. It's one of the biggest sporting events, uh, with the exception of the Olympics. But uh, it is India, uh, not only is it the most important race on the planet, it's the most dangerous race uh, without, with exception of the Isle of Man. Isle of Man, without, without question, is the most dangerous place on the planet for racing. That's the motorcycle race through the, through the hill country of Ireland, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, it's very dangerous. It's very high pressure because, you know, you've got to qualify and only certain, only 33 guys, only 33 guys qualify. So, um, you know, to, to accomplish that goal, to be in the Indy 500 is like being in the system. Yeah. Well, and it, I found it interesting. By the way, I have to say your documentary was fantastic. It was extremely entertaining uh, and compelling. Even my wife liked it, and she doesn't like anything. Anyway, <laughs> you know, the feedback that I've been getting worldwide just two days ago, Sean Penn, the movie star, Sean Penn saw it. He tweeted it out everywhere. He just thought it was uh, just a, a, a piece and it's gone viral. Um, uh, and Jay Leno, Jimmy Kimmel, they were all crying in the end. And so, you know, not to mention the sports stars from different uh, different uh, sports. So I, I, I think the hardest part about Uppity for me is that Jim Truman didn't get to see it or yeah. Paul Newman didn't see it or Muhammad Ali didn't get to see it. They were so key in my life, they didn't get to see it. That part makes me sad. I can I can understand that, but they did get to see you as you blossomed, which is fantastic. So, when was your last race, and what made you decide that it was your last race? Well, actually, my last race was last year in uh, in the V Rock series. There's a new series for IndyCar drivers and former uh, stock car drivers. Myself, Alan Sir Jr., Bobby Labonte. Um, uh, Skinner, Bodine, uh, Paul Tracy, Bill Elliott. There's a championship called V-Rock, Vintage Race of Champions, and we do three races a year, right? And I won the championship last year. All right. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and these are high powered. They're older Corvettes, older Mustangs, 
regular race cars with 800 to 900 horsepower engines. So, you know, we're out there racing each other like the old days, but in vintage uh, muscle cars. So I, I won that last year, and that was, that was good. Prior to that, my last championship series was, I think, 01, 2001, back when I was active. So with this uh, vintage racing series, do you have sponsors, or is it the same kind of setup? Well, yeah, um, the owners of the cars, it, it's a charity event. The owners of the car supply their cars to uh, the series, the promoter of the series, SBRA. Um, the promoter, Tony Perella, he puts up uh, the, the, puts on the event and the owners supply the race cars. There's no sponsors. It's just owners with a lot of money who have these vintage cars who want to see, uh, people from, you know, legendary drivers from the past, Hall of Fame drivers race their cars. Where are the races? Army, uh, first race was always in Atlanta in March. That got canceled because of the virus. Second race is in June in Indy. And third race is in September in Virginia. The last race is in Austin, Texas at Coda. Oh, nice. We still might. Now, we missed, we missed uh, Atlanta. We missed Indy. We'll probably miss Virginia, but... We most likely will do Austin in November. That looks like it's going to happen. Speaking of the Coda track out there, um, so have you been out there to a lot of the Formula One events? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm Bernie Ecclestone's guest every year. If I'm not Bernie Ecclestone's guest, I'm uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton's guest. Well, if they so have any extra, room, year. You know, any extra room in their suites, let me know. I'd be all in. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. The Mercedes uh, suite is uh, is it's it's uh, well, Formula One is the NFL of auto racing. Period. It all the rest of the series, IndyCar, NASCAR, they're not even on the same planet as Formula One. It is that big worldwide. It's that prestigious worldwide. Um, it's 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 a happening. It's like a Super Bowl in every country. Right. Well, I think you know, having talked to you, I think you have thoughts on things sometimes. Um, so I'd like to pick your brain on kind of the. I know you went down and and tried to run NASCAR a couple times, and it it seemed like the sport wasn't ready for you. You know that. You you were fine running the sport, but the sport wasn't ready for you. So, do you want to talk about that for a moment, and then we can talk about the current situation and see. Well, the tag the tag name Uppity came from when I went down to NASCAR. When I went down to race there, and you know they had never seen anybody down there like Willie T. Rex. For one, uh, the pro- one problem was I could go fast. And I could win races. And two, um, I didn't drop my head and I didn't bow. And I, you know, I spoke just like I'm speaking now, right? They had a problem with that. And so 
you know, uh, the, you know, the title uppity, you know, and, and that was just the one word. There was two words, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It's the second word started with N, but we couldn't use that in the film. You know, uh, Carollo's like, you know, I said, he said, we can't use that. I said, well, that's what they call me. So he said, well, we can't use that. And I said, well, we got to go with up. So we did. And, uh, <laughs> when I was down there, they, you know, they were like, holy. Man. <laughs> right. And, and I didn't, you know, it didn't bother me, the reception I got, because I got, you know, like death threats and I got the N word. Now, I was never called the N word to my face, ever, ever. But, and I, there was a reason for that. They knew. They knew that, that old Willie T, uh, he ain't going to take it. And he's going to knock, you know, we're going to be eating our dinner through a straw for two weeks. Now, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually, was it, the part where you said, I loved it, that they called me that, because that, it just, you took it as motivation, you know, I'll show you, I'm, I'm going to show you what I am. You know, you can call oh, me. Oh, I know. It was very motivating and was, you know, I said this to Don Lemon on CNN the other night. I said, uh, it's, it was fun. <laughs> Lemon, you know, I will never play the victim. That's just not Willie T. Rip. Okay. And so he was like puzzled why I said it was fun. Well, yeah, that right. It was fun. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, if, if we got to race, great. If we got to get up and fight, let's do that too. Right. And, uh, so it was, it was something that I could handle real well. I, I hope this young kid, Named Bubba Wallace, you know he's he's getting uh, the hammer on him right now, and um, you you you're going to have to be tough, son. We're going they're going to see what you're made out of. Well, that's why I was asking you that because I, we know at that time they weren't ready for you. Do you think they seriously want to change now? They've got to, not whether they want to or not. Uh, sometimes when you get drafted for war, uh, you might not want to go, but you got to go. Right. So, uh, they, you know, he's, he's the one that, uh, he's the sheep, sheep they pulled out of the pen. Right. And, uh, you know, now NASCAR has got to change from the commercial side. Okay. Commercially, they got to change. They can't have that that uh, 1950s look, that Jim Crow look. They can't have it, okay? The millennials are not going to uh, support you. Corporate America is going to say, well, you know, your numbers are not looking good, boys. So, you know, you guys are going to have to get back to running moonshine again. <laughs> yeah, that'd be popular. Hey, so yeah, That's where it all started. Yeah. <laughs> so. So there was one more story I wondered if you would tell, because um, I, I heard that one, and I I wanted a, a good humorous story for our um, for our audience here. So uh, Wally Dallenbach and you had a little uh, off the track race one time. 
is my understanding. Oh no, we it wasn't once. I mean, we we raced uh, we raced a lot from the hotel to the track. I mean, because every morning, you know, there was the schedule you're on, right? You've got uh, Friday, you've got practice. Saturday, you've got practice, then qualifying. Sunday, you got warm up, and then uh, race day, right? Well, you know what time you got to be at the track, uh, and we're all staying at the same hotels anyway, right? So you know what time you got to be at the track in the morning for warm up. So, so uh, we usually are coming out of the hotel at the same time, right? Most of the drive, yeah. And uh, so we come out. Well, we saw each other in the parking lot, and we were pulling out of the parking lot, heading for the track, you know, five miles away. So we raced to the track in our rental car. And we did it a lot. One year, we raced in reverse. <laughs> the track was only about four miles away. I think it was Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. And uh, Road America. And we said, hey, you know what? Let's do it in reverse this time. And we bet. We bet. 20 bucks. And so we put it. We put it in reverse, go, and we go like this, and we're, we're right in reverse all the way to track. Well, uh, the Wisconsin cops saw us. Uh-oh. They, uh, we were late. Well, we were late for driver's meeting. And they both, they knew who we were, and they said, hey, um, you know what you were doing is illegal. I said, yeah, I know. You know, we, we had a little bit too much milk to drink. You know, we're in Wisconsin, right? Bad cheese. <laughs> so didn't know which way was forward. So anyway, um, they didn't uh, they didn't write us up or anything. They just said turn around and drive normal to the racetrack. So, uh, but that was Wally. Wally says it was me. I thought I think it was him that said that Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise, Robert Duvall, uh, um, took all, what we did and put it in their one of their movies for Days of Thunder. Because the moment he started describing that, I was like, I've seen that, you know, I've seen that. Oh, it's in Days of Thunder. Okay, yeah, now it makes sense. Yeah, you know, it's like just to look at each other, and they both just hop in and take off, just you know, bumping the whole way there. And- you know, and you, and in those days, yeah, uh, I mean, drivers, IndyCar drivers like Unc Bobby and Al and Mario, they they would put back in the days when uh, the Holiday Inn, for example, there was no fencing around the pool. Back in those days, they there, there was no OSHA to to mandate you know, fencing around swimming pools, they were wide open. You can drive right out of the parking lot, right in the pool. They used to stack cars in the old days. They stacked their rental cars. After the race was over, they'd be partying and have a little bit of liquor, and they would drive one and drive into the pool, and let's see how far we, how high we can stack them. Then they'd drive another one on top until they were out, 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 out of the top of the pool. Awesome. And you could do that in those days. Yeah. You could do it. There was no social media. Nobody dropped a dime on you. It was not like 
uh, I miss those days. Yeah, no, I mean, I can remember, we've talked about this before, Joel and I have, about how, you know, if you looked over at that guy next to you and he didn't have a beer in his hand when you were driving, you handed him away yours. You know, because... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, just, that's just the way it was then. You just um, can't, but you can't do that anymore. No, nah, no. Nah. So... Man, I could go on forever with this, but I want to get back to some of the questions about what brought you to Texas. So, Joel, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on before we we start talking about that? Well, I just find this whole thing absolutely fascinating that you have been so single-minded at nine years old about just beating everybody's ass. That's uh, that's very admirable. That's <laughs> it's. it's uh, most people are not that driven. Do you still drive fast? Do you still no. roar well, up and down 290? Not really. I mean, how do you duplicate 230 miles per hour in a streetcar? You really can't. I mean, and and I'm not talking about 230 miles per hour in a straight line. Anybody can do that. I'm talking about around the corner at 230 miles per hour. Now, that's where... You know, that's where the key homes come in, right? <laughs> right, right. Right. You know, you, when you, when you're at Indy, you bring your testicles in a wheelbarrow. That's what you got to have. And With your magic tires. Yeah. 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 So, um, I don't really drive fast on the road. As a matter of fact, I let my wife do the driving most of the time. And, and, and you know, here's the irony. I've got a Lincoln town car. Like, like, like I'm a, a limo driver, right? She's got a 550 twin turbo, uh, supercharged BMW, right? That's her car. I'm in, in old man Rivers car, the town <laughs> car. So have you driven, uh, Coda? Yeah, I did in my son's truck. Really? Yeah. Uh, we were out there filming one day. And um, uh, my son, Theo, is one of the top shotgun shooters in the world. And um, they, uh, this uh, magazine wanted to do a photo shoot with Theo at Coda, of all places. So we were going around Coda in his truck with a shotgun in it. And he was literally, we were filming him. On the back of the bed of the truck with a shotgun in his hand as we were driving. Was there, anything, driving shotgun. <laughs> Is there anything more Texas than that? Oh, oh, it, it, <laughs> it, it was, per, and it got a lot of uh, attention. So, you know, I called uh, Epstein over there at Coda and said, hey, you know, we're going to do this. And he, uh, you know, uh, what, what do you think? No problem. Nice. So, yeah, that, I mean, that brings us back to, you know, you wound up here in Austin. Did you, I guess when you were thinking about, okay, my racing career's done, I, I need to move somewhere. Did you give anywhere else any thought or was it just, hey, you know, I've been to this Austin place and it it's pretty nice. No, there was really no other. I, I, I wasn't going to move down to Houston. I wasn't going to move up to, to Dallas. But it was going to be in Texas. I just love Texas. I love great people here. I got 
just great people, fun people, right? Uh, and and I just love all the space. I love all the space, and I've had an awesome relationship uh, here. It's just been terrific. I was I I told my wife, and my wife is from Montana. She's oh, okay. six foot two, former former basketball player from Montana State. Got into the hotel business, which she's in there. She's VPO of uh, hospitality group. And, um, you know, she's from Montana. And, you know, grew up on 2,200-acre ranch. And I said, well, how do you like it here? She says, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot. And, but, you know, I and she said, because prior to that, she was in, uh, Redondo Beach, uh, California, um, GM for uh, a, a five-star hotel there. And I told her, I said, look, I said, we're going to get married, but I can't live in California. I, I said, I, you got to, we got to be in Texas. So she reminds me of her commitment all the time. Uh, yeah. Boy, you talk about honeydews. Yeah, I did move to Texas, didn't I? <laughs> yes, honey, I'll do it. Yeah. What do you so mean? when did you move to when did you move to Texas? I've been here since '06. Oh. I was here before the boom, right? When there was only one, there was only two stop signals in Dripping Springs when I moved here. There was no HEB. There was no Walgreens. There was no a Home Depot. There was none of that. It was a nice now. Oh, uh, now there's rush hour traffic in Dripping Springs. Uh, he sounds like a Texan, Bob. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and I loved it because there was nothing. It was just uh, awesome. It was nice and quiet. And now, you know, we got a lot of foreigners, you know, coming in and, and not from another country. Yep. So what did um, you and your wife, what, this is just kind of a funny question I wanted to ask. What did you think of HEBs when you first started using them? Oh, I just thought HEB is great. They're not paying me to say this either. No, uh, I I I like HEB. And I like their their product line. Uh, they, it's been a great experience with HEB, including uh, their uh, employees. We're all on a first name basis. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. I know that's. It's funny because that's one of the things that people move. When they move from other states, they immediately fall in love with the HEB, and it's like, oh wow, this is so much better than what I had back home. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, and even the ones that come from uh, uh, La La, right? Yeah. Hollywood, you know, when they come out from California, people don't normally engage you in California in a supermarket, right? You don't get that. Everybody's like a horse with blinders on, and you know, if you look at them and smile, they think you're weird. Well, you walk in HEB and people are polite and you're going to be engaged. My wife thinks I go there just to socialize. She says, well, look, let's just get our groceries and go home. She, you know, I'm, you know, she thinks uh, that's part of the PR tour. Oh, yeah. Well, so what, um, you know, when you got here, I don't know how much, 
back home in San Jose, you have a barbecue and stuff like that. What do you think of the food here as far as? Oh, yeah. The barbecue here is sensational. I mean, it, the, uh, but that's the food here is sensational. I, uh, I got to tell you that Texans, they can cook and, um, it, it's, it's, it's heavy. I mean, you're not, we're not talking, uh, uh, tofu here. We're talking, you know, <laughs> real, real, real food. And, uh, but, you know, it's just, and I live not far from Salt Lake, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm close. And, you know, I have to, you know, be real cool on how much I eat because it's so damn good, right? Right. Yeah, you, yeah, you walk out of there and look like Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, I used to make a rule I couldn't go more than once a year. It was kind of like I didn't want to feel like Thanksgiving more than twice a year. Yeah. Exactly. But at the same token, you got a lot of real estate to walk that food off. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of real estate. We ain't, we ain't talking about blocks like New York. We're talking about miles and miles just to walk around where you live. Miles. Yeah, so where are some of your all's go-to places around Austin or the whole country or whatever? Actually, you know, I I, I used to, uh, you know, be at the Salt Lake and and uh, Mandola's out there in Driftwood. You know, my favorite gig now is actually Eddie V's downtown. Yeah, oh, nice Eddie V's, yeah. Oh, Eddie V's is awesome. Uh, they got a superstar waiter there named uh, Luigi, and I, I do his 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 table every uh, time we go in. So Eddie V's is sort of great food, but it's good. Uh, it's a happening uh, happening joint as well. Um, around you know the Driftwood Dripping Springs area, I'll go to you know I'll uh, go into town there and. And, uh, you know, I have, uh, dinner occasionally. Uh, so, you know, we're, uh, there's a little restaurant in Dripping Springs called Homespun. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'll go, yeah, I'll go to Homespun. I know, you know, and I know the, everyone there. So I'm, I'm pretty loyal when it comes to my, where I, uh, where I hang out or where I congregate. Have you tried Pius yet? Uh, no, I have not. You need to check that out in Belterra. Where is that? <clears throat> it's in, in Belterra. Yeah. Just, I'll yeah, just so, leave it at that. Uh, I, I won't forget that name. Yeah. No, they're good. Very good. Um, so what's been one of your favorite Austin experiences? I don't really have any, uh, one particular experience it's like a whole bunch of you know everything uh that um you know pretty much whatever what we do here is fun i mean just 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 hanging out at home and you know being out in the country that's fun going downtown uh you know i'll go you know like i said eddie v's occasionally i'll stop in the w i used to be friends with the g there um but, you know, out in the country, you know, just, you know, going uh, going bird hunting, you know, going dove hunting out. Because we can, 
do it right on right on the property out on the, on the ranch. Uh, so, you know, that was uh, um, well. Let's put it this way: Texas is not boring, and most people that come here from other states, you know, no, this is not out in the desert with tumbleweed. Hey, we got lakes here. We got uh, a hill country. We got some great, great uh, restaurants. Tilly's, for example. Tilly's and Dripping Springs. Oh, that's, you can go there and get, you can get wild at Tilly's. <laughs> this way up on the mountain, I mean, you can eat dinner and, you know, you with your wife, you, want, you can get frisky with your wife out in the trees or your girlfriend. So, you know, there, there's just, uh, you know, uh, it's just best. For me, it's the best. So since you've been here, uh, other than traffic, what's the biggest change you've seen? Traffic. <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 it, there was just no traffic in 06, 07, 08, 09. Uh, 2010, it started to pick up, right? Last ten years, the traffic's just been crazy. Now it's not L.A., right? Not L.A. It's not Atlanta, you know. Um, however, it's it that's I don't think um, I don't think the the planning commission ever expected to to see the development that's happening. I don't think they 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 saw it coming. Well, that's actually quite the contrary. <clears throat> when when I moved here in 81, the conversation was, well, how do we keep our nice little community? You know, and so they they cognitively decided to not plan for growth. Well, yeah, they came anyway. and, and and guess what? Yeah, they yeah, came anyway. The, yeah, the developer said, "Hey, you boys want some money? <laughs> here it mm-hmm. is." Yeah, that's, that's right. the problem. They've never they've never had a problem accepting money. You know, it's it, it whether it goes into their plan or not for the city. It's like, oh, you want to pay us something? Well, that's different. So, um, Joel, I'm going to give you the the honor of asking the special question. Uh, well, you mean uh, what is the weirdest thing yep. you've ever seen in Austin? Yes. Willie, we ask everybody this question, and we get a whole range of answers, and I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. What is the, keeping with the Austin theme of keep Austin weird, granted that we live 20 miles west of weird, what is the weirdest thing you've seen in Austin? I, I, I... I can't really say. I mean, I've seen, you know, some salacious behavior uh, downtown during uh, um, not March Madness, but South by Southwest. I've seen, I mean, I've, I've seen, yeah, it proved very salacious stuff, right? But they're young kids. I mean, we all did that. Um, that's about as weird as, as I can say I've ever seen. Just, Texans, you know, uh, Texans have fun. They don't, they, 
they go out to California and want to know why, uh, how come the Californians are so dull, right? <laughs> They're just fun here. And nothing that's really uh, uh, shocking. Just, you know, little salacious behavior. And, um, yeah, just, just yeah, that's it. You know, Bob, I'm not sure, but I think this may be the first time I've heard the word salacious on our podcast. It could be. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it is. So, I like it, yeah. <laughs> personally. Well, then we'll have to advertise this as a salacious podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, I man, I could sit and talk to you all day. Um, but... I. You know, at some point, maybe we can uh, revisit and uh, dig deeper on a few things. And uh, well, I have a question. Oh, okay. How how is the pandemic affecting you, or how uh, is it affecting you? Well, um, no. I mean, like I said, I'm out, and you know, not I'm not really close to anybody, and and you know, my wife and I, she's she's back traveling again. I mean, she was off for two and a half months, you know, and so now she's back visiting her hotels and, you know, uh, checking uh, the general managers out and seeing what they're doing. But no, it hasn't been any, any issue out there. Um, you know, we're, you know, the squirrels and the deer, you know, they're, they don't even have masks on. So, um, <laughs> You know, we're, we're no, no issues yet. Um, All right, good. Well, stay right. healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So again, everyone, the, the movie is called Uppity, the Willie T. Ribs story. Again, you can find it at chassis.com and on Netflix. And anything else, Willie, you'd like to plug? No, just everyone stay safe, stay smart. And, um, and, you know, we're in a time now in this, in the world and this country where we got a decision to make as human beings. We got a decision to make because if we keep on the divisive pace that we're at, that we're on, we're all going to be gone off this planet by 2050. That's my prediction. If we keep at the rate we're going. We've, we've just got to, you know, try to love and respect each other. It's got to be deserved because respect is deserved, right? You got, you, you have to earn that, right? right? You have to earn. Respect is earned. And, and once it's earned, it's deserved, but we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to make it or we're all gone. Amen. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, on that, I think uh, if you'll hang out for a minute after I close this out, Willie, we'll, we'll talk for a second and then um, we'll go from there. But so, again, thank you to our guest, Willie T. Ribs. Uh, I hope you guys will go check out the movie. It is an awesome movie. And, like, you got the stamp of approval from my wife, and she hates motorsports. So, you know, <laughs> there's got to be something to it there. Um, anyway. And we'll talk to you later and see you next time on the trail to Austin. Bye-bye.
any any time.